Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're in the uh, coronavirus quarantine stages now, so we're going to keep our social distance and do this podcast with all of us in different locations. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. I'm in the studio where we normally are. Keely Yor, who likes to come to the studio, is in her home, and we got Dan Weber on the line also in his home. We'll keep doing this for the foreseeable future until... Things kind of clear up, but we want to keep bringing you the podcast and talking about whatever USC football news is out there. We actually have some this week. I had a conversation with USC strength coach Aaron Osmus, a lot of uh, USC people from the athletic department with Mike Bone and, and Clay Helton and Aaron Osmus as well and uh, Andy Enfield. They were all on Trojans Live on Monday night, so we'll talk about some of the newsy things that came out of that. If you have any questions or comments for us, we do appreciate those. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or if you'd like to call or text us, you can do that at 424-254-9141. That is our number. So first, we've got Keely on the line. What's up, Keely? Hello, hello. Glad to be with you guys today. Glad you are here and uh, glad Dan Weber is on the line, too. Hey, Dan. Hey, uh, good to ca- uh, check in from Orange County where uh, we are so healthy out here. They don't give you a coronavirus test unless you're dead, apparently. From that's, that's what my doctor said anyway. He said, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. As long as you're alive, uh, you don't qualify in Orange County. So we are healthy out here. Yeah. it's So obviously with the coronavirus outbreak uh, going on, we're here in California and, and you know, I guess a lot of states, we're on a lockdown, a stay at home. It's recommended. We recommend that for everybody to help flatten the curve, as they say, and not spread the virus. So some of us go in a little stir crazy. Uh, you know, there, there's not a lot going on. So you're watching Netflix or playing games or whatever. So there's, uh, you know, you don't get out of the house much. Me just walking over to the studio or driving my car to the studio, it's like less than a mile from my house. It's kind of nice to just get out of the, you know, your normal routine. But I think, I don't know if you guys, are you guys settling into a kind of routine? Like, yep, this is just the way life is for a while. Yeah, uh I know my doggies are, they, they still get the same, uh, and, and demand the same, uh, amount of walks. And we've got a couple of parks, uh, you know, very close. And, uh, it, it's kind of fun to go out and see, uh, there are more kids in the playground and more kids playing basketball, more people walking their dogs, uh, you know, people keeping their distance, but, uh, there's actually a little bit, you know, on some days and sometimes there's more people actually out and about uh walking than than you normally see so uh, so that's a good thing but you know if you've got a couple of doggies you're uh you're gonna get outside you have no choice yeah i want a dog i want a dog in this quarantine i think that would alleviate some of the stress and maybe give me uh, more fun but no yeah my roommates and i have we've kind of uh established a routine at 6 30 we close up shop and we turn our blinds <laughs> to try and signify that we're done for the day. But yeah, we have a little routine going, but uh, it's, you're still trying to figure it out. It's still kind of early into the quarantine. So we're seeing what works and what doesn't. 
Yeah. Yeah. That I was just thinking you closed down earlier. Everybody I think is, but the problem is that gets you going earlier <laughs> and you say, okay, I'm going early. Now, what am I going <laughs> to, what am I going to do yeah. uh, uh, going earlier? So uh, yeah, it does uh, change that schedule a little bit though. Yeah, I get up like at five in the morning now, like on Twitter, like just in my bed for an hour, like checking to see what's been going on and, you know, weird stuff like that. Um, but yeah, you try, you try to do a routine. Like I'm try, I, I bought a, you know, like a yoga mat kind of thing. And I'm doing workouts at home, you know, cooking more meals. Uh, I'd actually did. And we'll, we'll talk about our sponsor, Trader Joe's. I uh, went to Trader Joe's yesterday and I kind of felt like, I don't know if I want to go shopping over the weekend because, you know, they like Thursday was the day, at least in California, that they did the stay at home uh, deal from the governor. And also I think it was uh, st- safe at home was what, what, the, what the L.A. County did, but um, or L.A. City did. But anyway, so I, I thought it would kind of die down. I went Monday to the Hermosa Beach location. There was a couple people in line and the, the lines are like six feet apart for everybody. There was a, an attendant there that was spraying down all of the carts as you would go in. So, he'd, you know, you'd get a cart that was already wiped off. Um, and it wasn't that crowded in, in the store because, you know, they're not letting that many people in at a time. And, they, you know, there were some paper products that weren't there. But for the most part, like I found everything like people had talked about couldn't find eggs or milk. Like they had all that stuff. There was limits on things. But uh, it was a really nice experience. And then talking to the people there, they had a lot of people working. And um, really, it was it was great. I was, I was kind of worried, you know, but uh, I got my USC uh, reusable bags, which I actually washed today because apparently you're supposed to wash those reusable bags because who knows what's going on. So I did all that, too. But I don't know if you guys have been to Trader Joe's, but I, I had a really good experience yesterday. Yeah, I, I got uh, uh, eggs and milk there, having uh, failed to do that in uh, a couple of places that are closer uh, to to my house. So, uh, you know, so that was good. And, and uh, the people there... Because from what I'm reading, people haven't been very nice to the people that were, you know, the, the checkout people and the people working in the stores. And yet the Trader Joe's people were just so unfailingly uh, positive and, 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 and helping people out and all that. I thought they were, they did a wonderful job. Uh, but they've always had, you know, that kind of people, you know, working there. But, uh, but that, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably hard to do when people are not in good moods. Um, but, uh, I thought they did a, you know, a great job. So it was a really kind of an uplifting sort of, uh, uh, you know, outing going to Trader Joe's. Yeah. yeah got- I mean, we talk about oh, God. being home. These people are going outside and, and working every day. So I can't believe uh, that they're still going and, and we give our thanks to all the essential workers out there who are keeping our lives still, still going. Yeah. I mean, with the, Obviously, all the healthcare professionals, everyone like that, you know, law enforcement, everyone that's out there trying to keep everybody safe and make people better. I mean, just do an amazing job and they're risking their lives. But when you're talking about there's only a few businesses open and it's like grocery stores. Um, I mean, you wouldn't think like, you know, I, I worked at a grocery store when I was a kid, you know, when I was uh, in high school. That was my job, like in high school. You wouldn't think of like, man, you're going to work and you're like risking your life. You could get sick and die uh, just because of this virus. So it's. But, you know, they're doing and they're hiring more people and uh, it's it's great. I mean, they did. I thought they did a really good job. So the point is, everyone just kind of be safe out there. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on. The Olympics were just postponed um, till 2021, I believe. So there's it, it seems like the world's taking it serious. It seems like we're taking this seriously as far as the country goes. There's some weird stuff going on. But for the most part, 
if people stay at home, it's going to be really hard for this virus to spread. And and that's kind of what we want to, we want to do here. So, um, but I don't know if we want to talk about virus stuff because I'm sure people are tired of it. Do you get, do you guys do that news watch? Like do you watch CNN or whatever and try to find out what's going on? I, I do a little a day, but I don't want to do too much. Yeah. What else is there to do? I mean, and <laughs> if you've got, you know, if you've got anything in it, like money market funds or whatever, you, uh, you tend to watch the business channels to see uh, where the Dow has gone or, yeah. or whatever and all of that. You, you know, it's hard to hard to not do that. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know how you can avoid it. And uh, so my, my take right now is, uh, you know, we're going to get to that, you know, peak and then it's going to start going the other direction. And I guess the sooner we get there, the better. And then figuring out how do, how do you, get it going again uh you know do you go in you know geographical you know places do you go by age or whatever you know they're talking about figuring out how to have a soft start uh you know they've had kind of a hard stop but can you get a soft start and get things going back uh and when and how do you do that i mean i'm you know like i'm the eternal optimist in me says uh when they mentioned today uh, i think the president did that Maybe a target date would be Easter Sunday, which is 19 days away, that you take a look at it and say, uh, okay, you know, are we past that point where things aren't getting worse and they're getting better? And it's so hard to know now if they're getting worse or not because we didn't do a lot of testing. So we don't know exactly, you know, what those tests are telling us. But, you know, will another almost three weeks give us a chance to, to try to figure things out? I don't know hope so we should at least know a lot more in three weeks um you know I, i've watched some of those briefings too and uh yeah like yesterday it seemed like well they you know they gave that 15 day window or, or you know where they were going to look at it, like and reevaluate after 15 days but obviously things weren't gonna, not going to be fixed after 15 days three weeks from now or eight 19 days from now or whatever it is that seems a little more reasonable to at least be like okay where are we now did you, did you go over the peak or is it still going on and I think we'll have a much better idea then, but we'll we'll probably talk about a little bit, you know, on the show, like what, uh, what when we talk about like what Mike Bone was saying and stuff, because they it's you know there's a lot of contingency plans that have to be put in place, and I know some athletic dir- directors don't even want to think about it. Um, Pete Thamel had a story I wrote that you know, I read that one earlier this morning about you know some of the athletic directors don't want to think about life without football because it would be catastrophic for college sports because football. Uh, I think one of the ADs put it, basketball pays for itself, football pays for everything else. And so if football went away, things would be dire. So, um, you know, we got to take it one day at a time. We have to do our part. And and like we said, uh, you know, stay at home if you, you know, if you can at all times and don't spread the disease. And so that's, uh, if we can do that, the more we do that, the the quicker we'll get back to football. Because I, I can't, I don't know about you, Keely, I cannot imagine if we had to lose the football season. I'm trying not to go there mentally. <laughs> it's very stressful because obviously I hate the off season. I love football and I don't want to know what my job looks like in fall without football. But I saw a tweet the other day that was very helpful. It was basically, it said, stay in the day. Don't look too far ahead. So that's what I'm trying to do. But yes, Ryan, I would be very sad if there was no season or half of the season got, yeah. got cut off or something like that. Yeah, yeah I would. And the problem, I think, with that is if we are still in as much trouble next fall 
that we have to call football off, as bad as that would be, and as catastrophic, I think, is the right word, Ryan, we got a lot of other problems that are way worse than football if we're still unable to have a football season next year. I mean, uh, I mean, let's face it, China is back, you know, uh, where they're telling you at least that they're having no deaths on a particular day or no new cases or whatever. China, I mean, after 80,000, you know, cases. uh, So again, whether you can believe that or not, I don't know. But uh, uh, if that's the case and they were able to hit the peak and and get back, uh, now they did some amazing, you know, once they, after all the original lies and screw ups, they did shut everybody down. I mean, they were uh, bolting people into their houses. I mean, you know, they were, you know, you couldn't go out. So, uh, so, you know, I think, we could maybe hope that, you know, if they could have, you know, made it to a place where they're starting to open everything back up, even in Wuhan, um, you know, we got to think, well, maybe, you know, we can do that. And maybe that you have to do some hotspots, you know, things where New York City is in a different place from, from, you know, and maybe Seattle and, um, you know, don't know. I mean, California has got whatever the third number, uh, you know, of, of, virus uh, reports but it's such a big state with so many people there's not a lot of concentration in california so you know how they would make those decisions on a you know location by location basis or younger people um you know have the you know the ability to go out because uh you know they're not you know in as much danger and you know you tell the people are more in more danger to you know really be careful or whatever i don't know how that how that looks i will say this one thing that was good i think that we learned last night on the show from mike bone is just like the sec the pac-12 athletic directors start their uh, their days every single day with a conference call with the didn't he didn't say who they talked to at the uh, pac-12 office but that's encouraging to me. I, you know, I knew I the SEC did Scott. it, and we know. I think he said Larry Scott. Was did on he the call say Larry? Too. He yeah. did say with yes, Larry Scott. Okay. Yeah. Well, then that's uh, you know, and whether they were doing it the whole time, you know, or they picked it up from the SEC, I don't know. I'm just glad they're doing it. I think that that's the kind of proactive stuff you got to be ready to do. You know, when and and be ready to know what you, you may not be putting out official plans, but you know, let's say they come back. You know, by the you know middle of April or whatever, to some extent, schools aren't coming back. But then, what do you do? Do you say, "Huh, what about the sports teams?" Uh, you know, they don't do competition, but can they practice or whatever? I mean, I think you just have to have these thoughts, you know, bouncing around in your head. Uh, you know, how would you handle that if it comes along, and and what do you do? Or does a USC, for example, if they say, "Well, Los Angeles is a little more iffy." Um, would you say, well, you go to you, UIC, you know, uh, UC Irvine where USC used to practice or, you know, one of the NFL facilities or something. I don't know. But I, I, you want people to be at least thinking about those things if and when something changes. Yeah. Well, you got to talk. To, well, Keel, you wrote the story about Mike Bone uh, from the, uh, the call. Anything kind of stand out from you from the Trojans Live uh, interview? It was good to hear from him. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely what Dan said, it stood out that they're having a league call every morning um, and talking to Larry Scott. Um, he was asked, are you thinking about 
uh, what happens if this coronavirus, if the problems bleed into the fall? And he was like, yes and no. Um, it's too early to tell. But also, um, if, it, if that's the case, it will, t- will take a major hit as far as financially. He said, So he kind of, at the very end, led on to the fact that this could be a revenue issue for USC if it does uh, bleed into the fall. So just things like that. But uh, he didn't really have much... Um, many updates to give at this point because we're still very early into this, um, especially when it came to NCAA eligibility. Um, he said they're hoping to get a decision from the NCAA uh, at the end of the month, but right now nothing, no clear message has come from the NCAA on that front, even though there's been like mixed reports on that. Uh, so basically they're trying to figure it out day to day. And the thing is, is that USC was on break last week. So yesterday, Monday was essentially the first day of their new normal, uh, their new work day, trying to do everything, social distancing and, and do things remotely. So they're still very, very early in the process of figuring out how to deal with these issues in their new normal, if that makes sense. You know, I think one of the interests, you know, you talk about the financial hits. Well, USC's probably already taken a pretty, you know, I mean, we hear numbers up to 20 million in terms of the athletic department, just, you know, as a whole for the, you know, the past year. And then the $600 million that the NCA was going to distribute to schools, you know, to conferences, you know, to schools through their conferences and all that, that's not coming. Uh, you know, maybe they what we found out that they've only been insured for 250 or 270 million in case the uh, you know the they don't have the tournament, which is now the case. So you all USC will already have taken a pretty big hit uh, this year. Uh, it's hard to even imagine the hit that that would be next year if you didn't have you know just the gate revenues. Uh, but then basically you don't have the TV contract, the uh, 30-some million dollars a year that comes back to the schools. Uh, it's almost impossible to imagine um, how they would handle that. I, 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 I don't blame them for probably not wanting to have a contingency plan for that because I don't know that there is a contingency plan that handles that kind of revenue loss, let's say, over a six-month period. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think there would be one. No, that would be. I mean, it's to you. It would be. You would know how important football is if there was no football season, where athletic departments like sports would be cut. Like, there's a lot of fallout from what would happen here. Even just with the without the NCAA tournament, there's some schools that rely heavily on basketball. You're going to see. This is going to be already potentially devastating to athletic departments around the country, but for you know, especially a place like USC, if you're a UCLA and you're 20 million in debt, you know, that, I mean, that there's some major problems that be coming if you don't get a football season. So we have to hope that there is going to be one. Uh, but, um, you know, like you said, Dan, very happy to hear that Mike Bones out there and talking about it. We hadn't heard about this athletic director meeting until he said it. Um, things like that. We just haven't really heard from the athletic department before. So the fact that they're on a call every morning, trying to figure out what this means and you know USC players are supposed to be back from spring football now I mean from spring break now it's getting real because they're taking online classes and everyone's got to make an adjustment and you know you got a hundred players to to look after so for Clay Helton we'll talk about the the strength and conditioning stuff in a little bit but for Clay Helton that's a lot of guys you got to manage uh, remotely so it's certainly not going to be easy. Well, and USC's got, you know, a fairly significant number of rehabbing guys. 
And now you've got to manage those guys uh, and mostly, uh, you know, remotely. And uh, and that can be a challenge. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of a lot of challenges with this, uh, you know, doing everything remotely. There, there are some things you just almost can't do remotely. Uh, I don't know that you can, as you'll, you know, uh, elaborate on, you can't exactly do strength and, uh, you know, conditioning remotely. I mean, where would uh, uh, Jay Tufele be able to rep 500 pounds, uh, uh, squat 500 pounds, nine reps in the real world? I mean, you'd be taking your life in your hands if you tried to do that somewhere, you know, with some homemade, uh, you know, weight facility or whatever. I mean, that you just, you can't do that. You know, you just can't. Yeah. And I, sorry, can I jump in? I know this is obvious, an obvious point, but when I was just transcribing uh, Mike Bone and, and listening to what he was saying again, it was just so clear that USC got really lucky that in this time period, they have an athletic director that has been, an athletic director before just because these are such extraordinary circumstances that at least my bone knows what to do in normal circumstances that he can then begin to address this new challenging time period, you know? Yeah. Well, it's good, you know, just to have USC on that conference call every day. I mean, these are probably athletic directors who for how many years, uh, USC has been kind of a non-presence in the PAC 12, a non-factor, you know? Uh, I just think the more they hear from USC, the more they realize, you know, if you had to take care of one, if they had to say, Pac-12, you've got one program you have to get right. Which program is it? And they had to, you know, all vote and decide. It's USC. I mean, and just having USC with, like you said, Kelly, a real athletic director on that call that matters, I think, for the conference and for USC. I mean, we've seen years where it looks like the uh, Pac-12 paid as little attention to USC as Lynn Swan seemed to as the athletic director. And I don't think that's going to happen anymore. No, I think it's really important on the USC side of things to be a leader in the conference. The, the program, the you know, the university hasn't been as far as athletics go for at least the last decade. So uh, it looks like they're trying to make steps in the right direction. And this is a time where you're going to need leadership. The conference is already behind. Uh, not an easy way to, you know, if you see this tidal wave of, uh, you know, budget shortfalls coming at you, like you're going to, that's a big problem. So hopefully we don't have to deal with that. Uh, and, you know, if there's a more optimistic way to finish this off, one of the things that you talked about um, as far as trying to get the players ready and when the Olympics were postponed, could you know they were supposed to start in July? Could you have like could everything have been done in July and you safely go there? Like potentially, but all the training and all the you know the uh, qualifiers and all that stuff go leading up to. There's no way those things could happen. And so same kind of thing with football. You got to get these guys ready. So I had a, a pretty long conversation with Aaron Osmus on Monday morning, kind of talking about all that. And you know it was interesting for him. And and once we were talking, I kind of realized this like. What would it have been like if you were the strength and conditioning coach and you just started and you don't even get to meet with your players and you have to do everything remotely? So he at least had a, a year of establishing his culture. And uh, part two, I put up the story up in three parts. Part two is up on the site right now. And part three will be on Wednesday. But the culture, I think, was a big, important part of this. So he established what the, he wanted that culture to be over the last year. 
And now when you're trying to like, direct these guys remotely, they at least know what you want, you know? And I, I, for USC, that's pretty lucky that they didn't have to switch strength and conditioning coaches now. Like Alabama's doing that right, you know, they're doing it now. Um, I think that's probably going to help this offseason, just having that culture already established. Yeah, that's a good – I think the we were a little bit unrealistic last year, maybe expecting him to be able to come in, Aaron, in the offseason almost and change the culture immediately. I mean, they did a lot of things differently. Some guys responded really well. But I think in general, we were like, oh, you know, I wonder if there's been enough of a culture change. I think we're seeing that change this year. I think we're seeing, you know, with the Andrew Vores with the 44, you know, reps of uh, you know, bench press reps of 225 pounds. That wasn't nothing like that was happening last year. Or the J2 Felly video that we saw with uh, the 500 pound squats. I think it's taken that long. Uh, you know, it just takes that cumulative, you know, effort and and repetition and and hearing it and doing it. Uh, I think last year they were a little bit, you know, do we really pay attention or don't we? Or do we really, you know, does this really matter that much? Now you get the sense that the culture has changed and they really do believe. I mean, just watching uh, the video of, of Keenan Kristen, uh, you just think, whoa, you know, we always, you know, he's a strong kid. I'd love to know what he weighs right now. But, uh, but you know, we're seeing evidence of things that things have changed and this is a different program uh i think we were hopeful it was last year but that might have been too soon to hope you know for the change in the culture but this year i think i think you know it's happening it seems like it's happening and uh you know i don't know keely what your impression was the hearing aaron osmus on the uh trojans live last night um the, when I talked to him, and I was I the, the the third part where I ask him about for home workouts because there's a lot of people posting workout videos or if they normally go to the gym, what do you do at home? And I was trying to get him to talk more about like body weight kind of workouts, and it's like it sounded like he really didn't want to have any of that. Like, yeah, you can do push ups or pull ups and stuff, but he he would rather you go out and like push a car. So he wants he wants weights involved, <laughs> you know. And uh, that's that's coming up in the next piece where he talks about that. But he wants you to get creative. And there's some different things you can do. Uh, even I said if you have small dumbbells, he's like, it, you know, he doesn't want to see their, his guys do like 100 curls with like 10 or 15 pound dumbbells. <laughs> he really wants you to be, you know, strength training and not you know, and doing that. So he's got his home gym. He's all set up. He's doing his work, you know, every morning. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of the players can't. And he had to put them in categories. And, and they have to really talk to each player they split it up with the five strength coaches. So each, each coach gets about 20 guys and they check in with them every day. But some guys have some weights around at the house. So you can kind of work with that. Some guys have like a real gym that they have access to. And some guys have nothing at all. And then you have to really come up with something and you know, you can run and do things, but he wants you to get outside, like find jungle gyms and do pull-ups, whatever you got to do. But it was, it was interesting how they have to kind of tackle this problem because you're, you're used to this really controlled environment and now it's chaos. It's spread out everywhere. Yeah, that's what stood out to me about your interview with him is like, you can't just send these kids to the gym because obviously the gym is closed. And so I thought it was smart how he created different plans based on their accessibility to different type of workout gear. Um, so I thought that was really smart. Clay Helton pointed out on Trojans Live that 
Ozma's even created a private Instagram account. Yeah. So every day he's apparently posting new workouts that they can follow. Um, and, and apparently they're getting creative. I know Jacob Lichtenstein tweeted a video of him squatting. It looked like it was a safe. It looked like a very heavy piece of equipment that he was squatting with. So I think guys are getting creative. And that's the really interesting thing about this time period is Osmus is going to have to get uh, very uh, creative with how he's coaching guys. And I think to your point, Ryan, that's what's really helpful about having Osmus already in the system for a year, establishing that culture is that he can build on that rather than trying to get guys to buy in and then giving them workouts to do on top of that. I think it makes his life a little bit easier in that sense. I think the other part I like about the creativity is, guys, if if they're being creative, I think that indicates a buy-in, you know, because essentially, no matter how hard you're coached, you have to buy in. You have to – it's up to you. Uh, when you know, push comes to shove and all the other things that you can say. Uh, and if guys are being creative and taking charge of their own program and, you know, the buy-in is there, I think that, you know, that could work, you know, really well. Uh, it's the kind of thing maybe we haven't seen enough uh, with this USC football program in recent years where guys haven't kind of, you know, said, hey, you know, like a, a Troy Palomalu would have done or Carson Palmer or, you know, all those guys that we saw through the years where, hey, this is my program. Uh, we're going to make it happen. Uh, I think the chance to, you know, demonstrate that, you know, while they're you know, away from the team and the program and, and in terms of the weightlifting, I think is it could be really important for the for these guys if uh, if they, you know, get it right and they're being given the opportunity to, to do that very thing. Um, anything else from the uh, Osmus stuff that stood out to you, Keely, that, that you thought was interesting? I mean, it's it's a big challenge, and it to, to have those players and try to keep them in track every day, you know, on track every day. You know, private Instagram account is nice, but um, it's there's going to be a lot of phone calls, a lot of in, you know, Facetimes, whatever you got to do, a lot of individual contact with these guys to make sure they're on the same page. Because some guys are going to be, you got an Amon Ross St. Brown who grew up around weightlifting, he's fine, you know, but there's going to be a guy that doesn't have any weights in their house and maybe he's not as going to be as motivated or, or you know, rehabbing an injury. And th- those are people you have to be on a little bit more. So it's, it's making this job a lot more challenging, I think, for the strength staff. No, without a doubt. And this is something when Aaron Osses was on our tunnel vision, when he first started, uh, he talked about how uh, in the weight room, they kind of evaluate who are the leaders and putting them into different groups. And so this is really going to test that skill that he was talking about of reading the room and reading the players because in those groups, those five strength coaches divided into 20 players per strength coach, each strength coach is going to have to read the room, read their players and evaluate, okay, who needs more motivation? How do do they respond? Do they need tough love? Do they need encouragement? Because that's going to be a really hard challenge about not being in person. You kind of have to... uh, feel out who their personality type, how they're motivated and see if they're actually doing what they need to do. And that's a real challenge when you're not uh, seeing them do it in person. So like you said, Ryan, it's going to be a real tough time for Aaron Osmus to try and get this everyone on the same page in that sense. And then I think the whole point is you have to get the guys ready. And when I was talking to him about, well, what happens? Like where, you know, what if spring football is delayed until May versus July versus not at all? And and there's been talk about 
maybe OTAs kind of thing. And, and, you know, there's, there's a recruiting dead period now, and that might need to be extended, you know, because of, you know, you had an earlier dead period. Maybe you have to do evaluations later in the summer when coaches are normally on vacation. There's a lot of factors. And, and Ospis was saying he feels like whatever the decision comes down and you, know, you can't prepare for everything. You just kind of have to wait and see what happens. But there's going to be some kind of uh, period where they're not just going to let you come back to campus and go practice. Like there, there might be a couple of weeks of acclimation where you are only doing strength and conditioning before you get on the field. So there's the, the timeline. It seems like there's a lot of time, but depending on when this gets going again, how are you going to fit it all in? And there are some programs, I think, uh, I forget, is it Coastal Carolina or one program has already had all of their spring practices and some have had none. USC has had one. Um, probably most schools have had a handful so there, you know, how do you make up that ground too? Where do you give them extra practices before fall camp, and that makes it an extra long fall camp? So there's just so many factors that I think you have to take into to account, and that's what I, I think for Aaron Osmus, you have to be flexible because you might be preparing for something you had no idea you were going to be preparing for. Yeah, and if if they get say just by chance they get the whole month of May, you know, maybe you get you know a couple of weeks of of returning to, you know, organized strength workouts and conditioning, and then a couple of weeks of, uh, you know, of actual practice and try to get it in before, you know, before June. Um, I think they can make the case with the NCA that, you know, for safety uh, and, and all the other things that, uh, that they probably need to be able to do that. Now, you know, if they get lucky and, and it breaks that way, uh you know, one of the things with all the campuses closed down, it wouldn't be a big deal to bring, you know, a football team back. Uh, they're, you know, they're not going to interact with, with all that many people other than one another. And uh, so, you know, who knows? Is that the way to get the campuses, you know, started back up and, and, and functioning? I don't know. But uh, I think uh, I think what we have to hope for is that maybe you get a, a time in May where they get a chance to to do something and still get some time off in the summer and then come back. I mean, to be honest, people forget that uh, we just assume, you know, they're in class, uh, you know, in the summer and all that. I mean, I was covering college football when that was really innovative and almost like, wow, because some schools figured it out. Most schools, kids were only in, you know, on campus for, uh, uh, you know, fall and spring semesters, and then they would go home and they'd get jobs at home. You know, these are all the football players. And okay, I'm trying, I, I wish I could come up with who the schools were, but uh, it started where they figured out, well, what if we put them all in summer school and then they could all be here and working out? And so that's certainly during, you know, the time that, that I've been covering college football that, uh, you know, that people figure that out. So I think they're, you know, college football has has the ability to change and adapt and 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 go with the flow and and handle the circumstances and I think this will be a year where where we see how how good that is um, uh, how much you want the NCA involved I I'd, I'd kind of like to see you know different conferences coming up with their own plans and just say here's what we're going to do uh, NCAA and and tell the NCA this is how we've decided to do it it's the best for our school. And it's the best in our region, in our state. This is how it's all going to work out. And kind of just tell the NCAA what you're going to do and why that's the best thing for you. And 
rather than waiting for the NCAA to come down with some, you know, edict that they think works for everybody in the country and probably does not. So, uh, so I like. I'm really encouraged. I mean, really, the best news I think was that the fact Pac-12 was actually doing that call every day, starting their day that way. That's just, you know, I think that's where you get the best kinds of solutions is when everybody's starting to, you know, consider what everybody else's issues. I mean, the the Washington schools or certainly the University of Washington might have, you know, circumstances that nobody else has. And, uh, you know, people, you know, we have to figure out a way. Uh, how do you handle that? And how do they handle that? Uh, but uh, I just like, you know, people talking to one another, you know, brainstorming, thinking about, well, we could do this or we could do that or this is what we think we need, you know, if we get back and when we get back. So uh, I think that's a real, po- a real positive. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, Clay Helton was also on the conference call. Uh, one of the things he said was uh, that they get two hours a week with the players. And then I had some media members actually um, texting me about or tweeting me and stuff. Is that really right? Because they should be in spring football. And they would have a lot more time with the players. But I checked with a member of the athletic department. They said that's what they get is two hours a week. And they're trying to I get some clarification on that. My guess would be is if you did more time than that, it probably would count as your spring football if you were spending more time. So with spring football delayed, they get to you know talk with the players for like two hours. So Clay Helton was a big fan of the Zoom platform. Um you know, if you don't know, it's a, like a virtual meeting where you can have a whole bunch of screens up and everybody's on their webcam and, and microphones and stuff. So I've, I've done some workouts on Zoom. A lot of people seem to be doing a lot of Zoom stuff. I think kids are taking classes uh, on Zoom, but Clay Elton, I don't know, he, he gave a full endorsement. He's like, that's a great product. So um, Keely, anything that stood out and we'll get Dan's thoughts too of uh, what Clay Helton said. Yeah, I mean, he was singing Zoom's praises. Actually, I retweeted last night, Craig Niver said that he had a Zoom, his first Zoom uh, meeting with his DBs, and he said that they're fired up, and they, uh, he said, at a sign of the times, just had my first webcast position group meeting ever, and damn proud to say that there were a bunch of resilient, enthusiastic, and motivated young men ready to attack the day tomorrow. So uh, they're trying to get things, uh, going as creatively as they can but yeah that was stood out is that they're having meetings um and trying to get that time now ryan if they stick to that two hour does that mean that usc is trying to keep the window open to have a later spring camp if you will that would be my guess i'm trying to find out where that came from that the, the athletic department staffer didn't know exactly where but i it seems to me like that's what it would be like what they could have done over spring break and it's almost like that's continuing on Um, but if it was, you know, obviously if they were in spring practice, they would have a lot more time with the players. So my guess is they only get, you know, those, your, which week of spring practice you get those 15 and you get that time, but not a lot more. So if you start, if you took more time, then maybe it would be counting as spring. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Dan? Well, I thought, I thought the two hours was, uh, they were allowed to have that through the winter workouts too. I mean, weren't the two hours also, uh, basically carry through the winter? Uh, that they were allowed to have that kind of, you know, connect because the remember the coaches would show up for some of the outside conditioning and things like that, that they were allowed, I think, a total of two hours a week. So I think that's been the standard 
you know, going through the whole time. And whether that needs to change or, or not, uh, schools make the case that they need to change that. I don't one of the interesting things with Clay now, he's sounding more like that CEO model where he's not exactly, you know, uh, hands-on coaching in any way, but he's more the, the coaching, the coaches, or at least sort of the organizer or the, you know, uh, but, but this is giving him an opportunity to move in the direction that he said he's going to move uh, and letting the, you know, the coordinators coordinate, letting the coaches, you know, do the coaching where he becomes sort of the, uh, you know, the uh, administrator, uh, you know, at the top. And, and, and this certainly uh, calls for that. So uh, I think, you know, it could work in that I know people are just probably, you know, their heads are exploding when you say Clay Helton in a sentence that makes it sound like something could go right. Uh, but I think, you know, this is moving in that direction uh, where Clay becomes kind of the, you know, the overseer, but, Guys like, you know, Craig Navar are the ones, you know, with the with the players and deciding how they how they do what they do. And uh, and they're the ones that are motivating and And, uh, you know, I think that's what we can hope is happening anyway. Yeah. Well, uh, Keely, anything else from the uh, Trojans Live that stood out to you or we should we move on to some questions? Um, well, Clay Hilton mentioned uh, that the Pac-12 has a task force, and I don't know if he was alluding to that conference call, uh, but basically figuring out what uh, football is going to be able to do in the summer. He said maybe a little bit more strength and conditioning, maybe some things that look like OTAs. So that was interesting, just seeing that maybe they, they do shift the schedule toward uh, more of the beginning of the, the, the fall season. Um, so that was the only other newsy thing that came out of what he had to say. So there might be a chance that USC is able to get some some practices in or something that resemble practice uh, before they start fall camp or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the rules are set in place so you just don't practice all summer. That's not going to be happening. You're going to, you know, if there's time to get more practices in, I think, I think the NCAA will allow that because it's just, you know, everyone's been shut down. Uh, you know, maybe if you're the school that already had your 15 practices, I, th I think ASU had a, a ton of them. Um, then, you know, maybe you don't get any more, but if you haven't had any yet, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta let these guys practice at some point if there's time. Yeah. And I think one of the questions would be, do you give them two weeks? Let's say if they can get them in at the end of May and maybe an extra week in fall camp, you know, instead of, Basically, uh, you know, you start the last week in July instead of the first week in, in August or whatever. I mean, I, I could see both of those those things happening and and making sense. Yeah, and the answer really doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of times. So we'll, no, uh, no, they they need to start listening. I mean, the, the, it, it does get you nervous with the NCA the way they handled the shutting down of the uh, of the uh, seasons basically and the tournament. They didn't. They didn't handle it well at all. They didn't communicate it well. I mean, I know the Big East people are still just furious because they got caught at the halftime of a Big East uh, tournament game, having to call a game off at halftime and send everybody home. And they contend that 
they hadn't heard from the NCAA's director of basketball for uh, almost three weeks. So they, they said, you know, we weren't getting any information from them. We didn't know what they were thinking. Nobody, nobody seemed, I mean, you know, you have USC is sitting in their pregame meal in Las Vegas and finds out, oh, no tournament for you. I mean, you know, the, the NCAA probably had to do a better job and they're not, you know, we're, we're probably um, asking way too much for the NCAA to listen to people and make really good, solid decisions. That's not who the NCAA is. They, that's not how they've ever done anything. But one would hope that these groups of uh, college athletic directors in conference groups come up with the plans that they can just tell the NCA this is where we have to go. And the NCA hopefully is smart enough to say, okay, that sounds good. You guys think that'll work for you? We're, we're, we'll, we'll be fine with that. That's yeah. what I like to see. Me too. All right. Well, I think we'll get into the questions, Keely. I'm going to play a voicemail to start off if that's okay. And uh, we'll, Already? we'll roll from there. Here's the first one. This is Rick. From Vista, I appreciate all the information, um, especially the interest in recruiting stuff, and that's kind of the question I have. It is now that USC has a high-powered offense, um, do offensive linemen want to come and be a part of that? I can obviously understand how wide receivers and running backs might get a lot more credibility coming to SC and doing well because of all, you know, a lot more touches, a lot more yards, touchdowns, etc. Um, so that should keep the fun of wide receivers, but does that mean – I'm just curious, how do the offensive linemen look at that? Do they look at that as positive or negative? And do they realize it means we're not running the ball as much, even though they say we need to be running it more and they're going to do it more? Um, anyways, I'd like to know because, you know, we used to we used to stock up every recruiting cycle on four- and five-star offensive linemen for many years, and now – Got we're settling for three star linemen and maybe one full star. I know we need to really, um, that needs to change. So, please let me know. Thanks, Mark. Sorry about the audio quality there. He's, he sounded a little muffled through a lot of that, but hopefully you got the, the gist of it, Dan. Yeah, I think, uh, I think every high school, it's like baseball players that go play in college. Every one of them thinks they're going to the major leagues. Uh, same way with big offensive linemen that go to college. Everyone of them wants to go to the NFL. They think they're going to the NFL. And I think if you, you know, I don't think the way to the NFL is to be the run block. I mean, when you look at a lot of these evaluations of, of NFL prospects, it's, they talk about their athleticism and their feet and their reach and all of this. And they say, oh, and he's also a good run blocker. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at you know, where a lot of the really good offensive linemen are going, they're going to places like Clemson with a high-powered offense. They're going to places like Ohio State, which is really worked up to getting a high-powered offense. Um, you know, they're going to places that, uh, you know, LSU now with a high-powered offense. So I don't think hearing a high-powered offense uh, limits you in any way, uh, you know, in terms of the kinds of offensive linemen uh, that you can get. I mean, Oregon, for example, uh, as they've you know moved on to the you know high-powered offense in recent years, um, has certainly uh, you know built that around a, a very good offensive lines and veteran 
offensive line groups that, you know, help all of those guys, uh, you know, when it comes to the NFL. So, so I think um, having a high-powered offense uh, is, you know, no hindrance at all to getting high-powered offensive linemen. Now, it's a little bit more difficult in the West. There aren't as many, and you can't lose them. Uh, you can't lose them to, you know, places like Oregon. You certainly can't lose them to Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State, which has happened recently. I mean, USC just has to do a better job of getting those guys to, to come to USC. But having a really good, you know, offense and a really good program uh, that wins a lot of games is not going to hurt you. Um, you know, I mean, it's almost – I don't know where you would go if you were an offensive lineman and said, you know, maybe once it was Stanford or, or even in Alabama. I don't know where you would go if you say, I want to be a run blocker. You know, I want to go to a program where we're just going to run. I mean, you know, Army, maybe. Uh, so I, I think the world has changed in terms of offensive linemen. I, I think, you know, you need to have a good program. You need to have a high-powered offense, run a lot of plays for those guys, get a lot of film, show the uh, NFL how athletic you can be, and uh, and you go from there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it hurt Austin Jackson. I'm not sure he had a great year. But they look at him, you know, a great kid with a great body um, and great potential. And he, you know, showed that off this year at USC in a high-powered passing attack. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a negative there at all. Yeah, that, there's a lot of fans that just don't like the air raid and, that you know, just feel like there's, you know. But this was a, a really good offense last year, and it should be better this year, you know. I mean, I— I'm not sure why. I guess, you know, I get they're not doing formations that you want to see or whatever. But in the end of the day, it's like you want to get you want to put up points on the board. And Graham Harrell's still the, the offensive coordinator. He's not changing his stripes. You're you're rolling with him and you're rolling what he can do. And he's proved he can put points on the board despite having, you know, used three quarterbacks and despite losing all your running backs like they put up points. So that's what you want. That was his job. And that's what they're doing. So however they do it, if they're running the, you know, wing T or whatever, triple option stuff, fine. But they're they're running this, you know, version of the air raid that, you know, it's not what Mike Leach runs. It's different than that. And it's it's effective. So I I'm not sure why people get get on that so much. Any thoughts, Keely? Well, just talking to um recruits the the whole bunch of offensive line recruits that committed them this past cycle the thing that was appealing to them too was specifically tim drevno he's a guy who has experience in other offenses and has had a very detailed approach to each player that he has so when talking to them they like both the, the fact that the air raid can put points on, on the board can give them that notoriety if they do well but also tim drevno has uh, success of teaching guys who are not only in college but also in the NFL. So for them, specifically in this uh, current situation of USC staff, recruits really like that that duality that you get with this air raid offense, but also with Tim Drevno. And apparently on the recruiting trail, Tim, Tim Drevno has an ability con to connect with these guys that apparently really resonates with them. Well, and he can also talk about Tim Drevno was the offensive line coach at Stanford when all they did was come out, line up, knock you in the, you know, in the chops. So he's got that and he's got, you know, the time at, um, oh, Michigan kind of did that too. 
when he was there, both under Harbaugh, and then uh, at the 49ers, he's got that NFL. So I think that's a really good point, Keely. I, I don't think you lose anything with Tim Drevno's background. It's not like uh, maybe you, you know, you could have made the case with Neil Calloway that he was a kind of an old school SEC, you know, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia. Uh, coach when all they did was line up and just play power football. Uh, I don't think that's uh, that's the downside that you would see with uh, with Tim Drevno and USC. Yeah. What do you got? What do you got next, Keely? Well, for our first email, it's I kind of laughed at it. It was pretty vague, but Frank in Sacramento sent us an email that said, please tell me more about the quarterback we missed out on. From what I found online, his physical presence is a bit underwhelming. And then he sent a picture, and basically it was a screenshot of Bryce Young. So basically, Frank in Sacramento wants to know, uh, why did USC miss out on, on Bryce Young, and uh, what is his attributes? He's a, I mean, he's a really heady player. Uh, we, we had a recruiting podcast with Gerard uh, last week, and so what, one of the questions came in was, if like put together a perfect like quarterback with some of the prospects you've seen, and he did a he did a little recency bias, and he said uh, if you took like all of Bryce Young's attributes and you put them in like DJ Ugalele's body. <laughs> Um, with his arm strength and stuff, he said that would be to him like the perfect quarterback. Like he's just, he, you know, moves well in the pocket. Uh, you know, he's not, he doesn't have like the strongest arm in the world. He's not like six, five kind of guy, but just, you know, really sharp. I think he's got really good vision. There's just, he brings a lot of those intangibles and, uh, to the table and it's a, you know, it's, we don't need to harp on the players USC didn't get, but certainly a big loss for the Trojans. They're likely going to try to take two recruit, two uh, quarterbacks in this cycle, you know, missing out on Bryce Young and uh you know it was it was not just missing out on, on Bryce Young it was also his recruiting prowess as well like he was trying to to bring in more players in the class once you lost Young it was going to be really hard there wasn't any like you know stud recruit there that was going to try to recruit more guys and the end result ended up being USC's worst recruiting class in in history so he's definitely a good one if USC you know USC could potentially face him um, you know, in the, in the opener, if he wins the job, uh, for Alabama. So that'll, that'll be something to watch. Yeah. I look at him like a, a kind of a, a guy I covered in college, Drew Brees, uh, you know, kind of a barely, you know, he's not quite six feet tall. I don't think Drew really is, uh, but, uh, athletic bouncy, uh, can get to where he has to get to get the kind of throwing lane that he needs. Uh, where you say, I'm not wowed by, you know, he, he's not, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes in terms of arm strength, but I think Bryce Young has a lot stronger, quicker arm and really accurate and on-time arm that uh, I think got under underrated because we kind of tend to underrate guys who are that athletic and, and that, you know, kind of bounce around and, and do all the things that he could do, but uh who knows? I guess uh, don't give up on. He might be next year's Brew McCoy. What do you know? What do you know? Yeah. Who does? Well, with I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe the coronavirus helps USC, where he wants to go back home. Um, there was a lot of talk about that on the recruiting podcast. Make sure you check it out. It's uh, you know, will it make players want to stay closer to home? And that's good for USC because they have a lot of good players that are close to USC. Where if you're in like Lincoln, Nebraska, and you have to recruit from out of state. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, you know, like, yeah, that's, it's going to be an issue where if, if recruits don't want to go far from home. So 
Who knows? Maybe Dan's right, and they you could uh, see him coming back. <laughs> oh boy, that would be crazy. Yeah, two brews back to back. Yeah, the be uh, mm. that was brew was pretty weird, and this would be another weird one. Um, I got another voicemail for you. Let me play it. Hey guys, Frank Miranda, Irvine, class two thousand four. Listen to your podcast on the seventh uh, March seventeenth, St. Patrick's Day. Even I forgot it was St. Patrick's Day. Hope you guys are all well, but. Hey, I just wanted to comment on Dan's pillow talk about his optimism on the team this year with Clay Helton. I like how Keely and um, Ryan are trying to be a little bit more, I guess, political about it. Uh, well, Keely's pretty sad. This may be the pessimistic one. Um, totally cool. I'm fine with it because I think a lot of us are all pretty pessimistic with this regime. Um, the pillow talk, though, is a little much, though, Dan. I mean, just call it for what it is. Lipstick on a pig. We all know it. But, hey, I guess someone's got to be that believer besides Curtis. Love the work you guys do. Look forward to the recruiting podcast. Take care, guys. Yeah, I just don't see how you can be uh, intimately involved, directly involved every day in athletics and be negative and be, uh, you know, a downer. I think if you can't figure – if you can't figure out – what is it we're trying to do here? How do we compete? What do we have to compete with? You know, if you if you don't think like that, I'm not sure sports is the place you ought to be spending a lot of time because I think that's one of the great things about sports is it teaches you how to compete. And if you have to compete, say, around the head coach, so far it hasn't, you know, worked all that well where, you know, the – people that you want making the calls and the decisions and about how you're going to practice and all that haven't been able to do it but who knows maybe the combination of the new administration and the new assistant coaches and coordinators and all that gives USC the ability to make the kinds of changes that they have to make in terms of their you know preparation and and let's face it you know, the talent level is there. I mean, uh, to be really competitive. I mean, there's no question. I mean, we get questions now about, well, how, you know, what about the five stars that came, you know, came to USC last year? How are they going to be this year and, how, you know, how they do last year? And USC had the ability, you know, to could have had a, a good year, a really good year, and yet without Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy, basically. And so here you've got, two five stars just sitting there coming online this year. I mean, there probably aren't a lot of teams that could have Michael Pittman walk away and you look at the receiving core and you say, whoa, it's way better uh, potentially, you know, coming into this year. Or you have a, a Keaton Slovis. Who, and, and for those who didn't see the, I guess, the pro football uh, focus people re-ranked the uh, rosters after uh, – uh, I guess the, you know, the recruiting, the first recruiting class roster. And uh, I think USC ended up with fourth in the country with the way somebody like a Keaton Slovis played, who nobody had on the radar, is, is going to be uh, an impact freshman. So I think there are a lot of positives that you just say, you know, USC could get it right. Or what if they did get it right? You know, or what if they, you know, for example, you don't have two coordinators who don't care about recruiting. And that's like an unbelievable mistake by the head coach to allow two people 
that he depended on so much to set the tone that, hey, recruiting if you want to, okay, but no, no, it's not that, no big deal. Doesn't matter uh, all that much because my guys that I'm closest to, they don't want to do it. Uh, so, yeah, there were a lot of negative. I don't see that happening anymore. Uh, and I know, um, you know, people want to know, you know, who's going to be the big recruiter for USC. And I think we've got a question coming up about something like that. And I'm thinking the difference with this staff, you don't get the sense that, oh, it's going to be one guy. It's going to be, uh, you know, USC very often. You had one guy who, oh, he's our recruiter, you know, from Ed Orgeron to, uh, you know, T. Martin. I don't get that sense with this staff. So do do they finally get to a place where there's enough of a staff and an administration that cares that Clay becomes kind of the, you know, CEO guy who doesn't affect the day-to-day stuff all that much? You know, is that a stretch? Maybe. But it's a possibility, I think. If you don't think that, then, man, I think it's hard to be a – a football fan or just somebody really interested in it. If you don't think uh, improvement is possible. What do you got? Keely? I will say, oh, sorry, go I ahead. will say, no, you're fine. Um, it's not in my nature to be pessimistic. I think it's just a result of watching this team and watching how they go from fall camp or spring camp to fall camp to the end of the season. It, it makes me hesitant. And I think that's what I was trying to describe on the last pod but don't get me wrong you've heard dan and i hype up punters on this analysis i will be optimistic when there's case to be optimistic i just i think given the track record of clay helton and how things break down as far as fundamental fundamentals and and practicing and practicing physically i tend to be show me and i'll and then i'll change my tune at this point but like dan said there's a lot to be optimistic about and it's a great thing at this point that USC had that introductory press conference when they did because it, it changed the tone of, of how we view this defensive staff. So there are reasons to be optimistic, but me personally, I'm just going to hold out until we see something different. Yeah, it's just one of those things you don't want to get burned again. Um, I get the reason for the optimism. It is a better staff. Like They've improved everything around Clay Helton. But Clay Helton is still going to be Clay Helton. So that's where a lot of the fans are being pessimistic and – um, you know, I completely understand that, but looking at the rest of the PAC 12, looking at the roster, looking at how the staff improved, even with whatever you think of Clay Helton as the head coach, I think everything else is going to be better. The, the, the competition won't be as difficult, uh, outside of, you know, some, some of the bigger games and, you know, you could see USC going nine and three or something. And, uh, but you know, th- and fans, you know, if, if you lose to Alabama, Oregon and Notre Dame, those are the, the three main opponents you have on this schedule. So that that doesn't really say much. So it would mean a lot if they could win a couple of those games, obviously, and then not trip over some of the, the lesser opponents. I don't know. I think they have the talent to do it. I think they have the coaching staff to do it. But I'm not sure that's a, this is a team that would get over the hump and maybe the limiting factor is the head coach. Well, I, I do think removing him from setting the tone in some areas, I think, you know, helps. I mean, if he's not setting the tone in recruiting, which I don't think he is, that changes things tremendously. Uh, I think, you know, Dante is setting the tone in recruiting, but I don't think he's alone. I think he's got a lot of, 
you know, a lot of partners. Uh, I don't think Clay's going to set the tone in terms of how they're going to practice. And so removing him from kind of the things where he was actually, you know, a factor and, you know, elevating him, you know, placing him up on that tower, uh, you know, above the field and letting the coaches coach, I think does change the, uh, the equation a little bit. I think the big question is, how much, how different is it going to be? Uh, it, it looks like it's been a little different so far, obviously. But uh, when push comes to shove, you know, when they get, you know, at the end of fall camp, uh, I think one of the big test cases for Keeley and, I, and me will be, do they have a mock game week? Or does that thing go out of, you know, we never hear the terminology mock game week ever again. That, uh, I don't know how we can communicate that enough, but uh, that was a thought that was like for two weeks, you know, mock game week and game week was like, now we stop hitting, now we stop competing. Let's just do walkthroughs for two weeks. Uh, The mock game week is such a bad idea. Uh, no team needs a mock game week. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's silly. That's simple-minded. And stop doing it. If yeah. that happens, you got a chance. If we don't hear mock game week, we got a chance. Right. So that so if you're rooting for Dan to be a little bit more pessimistic, just you know wait till they announce mock game week, and then you'll get <laughs> you'll get your wish. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, what do we got next, so- Keely? So we got a text from Josh who says, what should USC football fans think about or focus on during this unique time period? What is priority number one for USC's team? My priority number one is the offensive line. If they get it together, if they're physical, athletic, if they're uh, assignment sound, they get the right five guys, if they're aggressive, if they can block the run, even when you know they're going to run the ball, They've got, you know, serviceable running backs. You know, the, Vi is, Malapai is 220 pounds and, and a veteran tough, you know, knows what he's doing, can catch it. Stephen Carr, 210. Uh, you know, we all saw little glimpses, you know, when he was a freshman and that. And hasn't, you know, he will tell you he's back and he's ready. Uh, you know, we'll see. But he's certainly, you know, the kind of guy that can be on the, you know, the field every down, uh, marquee step, you know, you got, there's just a world of talent there with a 235 pound guy with really good feet. Um, hopefully he gets back, you know, from that ankle surgery in a way that he can, you know, really contribute. And there have to be ways, uh, that they can incorporate Keenan Kristen's, uh, you know, speed. Uh, so if they can run the ball, when they want to, if a team, you know, comes into a USC game and says, we can't even think about dropping eight because they're going to run it down our throats, then the world has changed for USC. I think, you know, I think at least on offense to me, uh, getting the offensive line right and being able to run the ball and then defense just just, you know, you, you got nine starters back. You got a lot of guys that can hit people. You got a lot of athletes. You just got to get them to play. I mean, whatever they were trying to do last year clearly wasn't working. But uh, 
I just think, you know, be aggressive and turn your playmakers loose and let them make plays. And, and that didn't happen. Nobody got looked like they got turned loose much. And, um, and then they got to be healthy enough with Talano and guys like that. But, uh, but, but those would be my focus. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, you want to see this team Sean, you want to see this team play up to its potential. It's going to be the most talented team in the Pac-12, most likely, again. You can't hold it back with, with your own misgivings and your own uh, you know, worrying about what's going to happen as opposed to just going out there and winning games. And I, I think we saw a lot of that on offense. I think you'll probably see more of that on defense this year. So you, you got to let the guys play. you got better players you got to let them play. And I think that's, you know, one of the issues you can't have schemes that are going to limit what they can do. You can't have guys out of position. You just have to use what's at your disposal and what you have is superior athletes. And I think that's what USC has to do. And I, I want to see, like Dan says, I want to see more plays when you're a more talented team, you want the ball, you want more plays to happen. How do upsets happen? Like what do teams do that are not as talented in basketball? You would like to shorten the game because you don't want to have to go against those better athletes every single play. If you're playing poker and I'm a better poker player than you, I want to play as many hands as possible where you would probably want to limit the number of hands if you're not as good of a player so that the luck factor comes into play a little bit more. So just go out there. You have nothing to lose. Last year should have been a nothing to lose year, and it, it they just didn't play that way. You got to play that way this year. Well, I mean, when you, not only do you have better players, you got more of them. I mean, I think they got to run enough plays just to get the ball in the hands of whatever it is, nine or ten receivers, uh, and you know how many running backs. I think they, I think they got to go out there, and now you know uh, you've got. All veteran quarterbacks. I mean, again, there's no team in the country probably has three as veteran quarterbacks as USC is going to put on the field next year. Uh, I don't think you need to be standing there looking at the sidelines. I think you just got to come out and play and play and play and wear people down so that by the fourth quarter, you know, it's not like the Colorado game or the uh, Arizona State game where you you basically went on the last time you get the ball. Uh you want to be doing that, you know, in the third quarter, or, you know, not much after halftime and, and, and start putting people away uh, because you're, you know, you just wear them out. USC is going to have enough numbers um, and probably on defense as well. The big problem with defense and why they didn't play numbers was nobody trusted anybody. It was like, I don't think they know what we're doing, so we can't put them in. Well, don't be so complicated, you know, be, you know, more basic so that your guys that can play. I mean, we're looking at Palaia and you know, We're still not sure if he un- un- understood what they wanted him to do or if they understood what they wanted him to do. Uh, he's got too much talent not to be able to figure out a way that he can just create havoc against defenses. But, you know, there's 0 for 2 in two years for uh, That's Those are the kinds of things that have to start happening, uh, you know, this year. But you can't be afraid. you got to compete. And, I mean, the thought last – I still remember the thought last year when USC went to Brigham Young, and it was like – Oh, no, they dropped eight. That's so unfair. How can we play a team that's going to drop eight? And those three guys up front, well, they look like kind of mean guys. I mean, come on. It was Brigham Young. I mean, USC went into that game scared. 
can't have that happen. And that's where, again, the whole how do you handle Clay uh, matters a lot with these assistant coaches. Because I can't imagine USC ever should have gone on the field last year against Brigham Young and gone, oh, my gosh, they're dropping A. That's just not fair. (laughs) Yeah. That was ridiculous. Um, We got one last voicemail. I think you have one more email, right, Keely? Correct. Okay, I'll play this voicemail for you, and then we'll get the email. Hello, this is Rick from Vista. Got a question about um, so about recruiting. Um, I hear that um, there's no official recruiting going on. Mm. I don't hear anything about telephone calls and texts. Um, is that still? Are they still allowed to do as much of that as possible? And I'm assuming this whole thing will probably help the recruiting. But um, hearing it and doing it are two different things. I'd also like to know, you know, is that going to be the case? And who do you expect to be the big uh, recruiter and why are they so good? So real quick, it is a dead period that the NCAA instilled. So usually this would be we'd start getting into, you know, evaluation period in May. But also there's a chance for visits during spring football practices. A lot of recruits would come out. All that's off now. So you can't. Coaches can't visit prospects. Prospects can't come to campus. Uh, you can text and call and things like that. So there's there's contact that can be made, but not um, not in person. So that's really the main thing that's going on now. And I don't think you know. Again, there is a main. Obviously, Dante is going to be the the guy that you know so much about, uh, coming with the reputation from Oregon. But uh, uh, I just think. Everybody, I get the sense that they're all going to be recruiting, and you know that, that there's just a sense of uh, you you can't be a college football coach at a program that has any sort of national aspirations if you're not going to recruit every day and uh, every way you can do it. And you know USC was going into the last couple of years with half the staff not really recruiting. I mean it's. It, Almost imagine, you know, to imagine that that was allowed to happen. I mean, that is as big a failure as you could possibly imagine. I know for the people who are unhappy with Clay about this or that, to me, of all the things, I think, you know, that one is almost inexcusable that recruiting just wasn't that important, that everybody had to be part of the team and, and, and really out there. And so I think they got a lot of good recruiters from – from what you can tell, from what we saw, I think they got a lot of guys that could convince people that, you know, they want to play for these guys. I think it's already, you know, showing up uh, that that's the case. Yeah, like Dan mentioned earlier, there used to be like one super stud recruiter. And for Clay Helton, it was T. Martin for quite a while. And, you know, he's he's gone now. And uh, I think USC recruiting was really hurt by that. So. Um, now there's more guys that can do it. You know, Dante Williams probably has the the most cachet coming in, but you look at a Craig Nivar, he's, he's all over it. And these are guys, it's not just about like, oh, you talk to the guy and he's got this infectious personality and it, you know, he's so gregarious and you just want to talk to him. It's really about how hard you work at it too. You could be a more introverted coach, but you're constantly tweeting guys or on Instagram with guys or texting guys you don't take months off and don't talk to recruits. And that's what some of the the coaches that USC had employed were doing. It was more of an NFL model. And you can't do that in modern college football. And you maybe before the USC would quote unquote recruit itself, 
That wasn't the case. And especially when USC's results turned bad, you couldn't recruit like that. And even now, if you look at, and not only, so you had the staff members that weren't, they were part-time recruiters at best. You didn't have a great support staff either. The people you had were good, but there wasn't enough people. There's a video going around now to live and die in LA. Uh, It just went out. Uh, uh, Jay Toya, one of the USC commits who recently put out a top eight, which is weird because he's a commit, but whatever. And some other recruits are tweeting out this video. It's really well done. It's it's showing, you know, showcasing all the stuff in Los Angeles. And stuff like that wouldn't have happened last year. They didn't have the resources to produce things like that. Now you're getting some publicity and recruits are tweeting out this this piece of content that you've created and shows USC in a great light and Los Angeles in a great light. So uh I, I think it's it's changed drastically. I don't think it's like Dan said, one coach is is gonna be the focus. They just have you know, a higher percentage of the entire staff is going to be out there recruiting, and that makes a big difference. Yeah, and I think winning football games matters. I mean, they've, they've got to, you know, it would have been big last year if they'd have beaten Notre Dame. They had a shot. Uh, it would have been big if they'd have stopped the Oregon game uh, halfway through the second quarter and, and before USC imploded or whatever. USC, uh, you know, obviously had a chance to, in that game, and then they gave up because they said, oh, we're just USC, and they know how they practice, and that was it. But, uh, but they, you know, go ahead and beat Notre Dame and beat Oregon. I don't know, you know, what you want to say about the Alabama game, but I, I do think it's interesting. Alabama may have a new quarterback, uh, going to have a new, you know, strength uh, coach uh, who was the, the guy who left was uh, Nick Saban's number one assistant for all these years. So that's a big hit. I mean, there have been a lot of turnover on that staff, but uh, USC, you know, going into that game, I know they're 16 and a half point uh, underdogs, but, you know, again, USC has some things going for it. Uh, obviously, you got to take advantage of them and you got to do some things, but uh, uh, that USC hasn't done. You can't take the last two weeks and turn it into walkthroughs uh, uh, in the fall. But, um, you know, does any of that, you know, come through? I don't know. But, uh, uh, but more than anything, as much as these guys are going to work at it, I think the product they see on the field, because you can make a case for USC as a school, you can make a case for LA as a place to, to be. And now you've got to have the program. Uh, I think these kids know, you know, uh, all of the things that can be if USC's program is there. Uh, I don't think most of those kids that have gone to Clemson and Ohio state and Alabama and Oregon would have made those choices had the program been where it was when, when Pete Carroll was here. And it, so it's all about the program. And that's, you know, the things go hand in hand. And USC's got a schedule next year that will allow it to say, hey, we're back. Uh, are they? I don't know. But they're going to have the chance to uh, show people right away whether they are or whether they aren't. Yeah. And to Dan's point, to circle back to Frank in Sacramento's original question, with Bryce Young, that was someone who loved USC's coaching staff, who loved being local and being in Los Angeles and being at USC. But the problem was the, the win column just wasn't there for the school. And so he had to, to make a different 
uh, decision for his own personal success. But he was a guy who was essentially begging USC to be better because he was the recruiter um, for the, the school, essentially, in that class. But for him, it ultimately, when the wins weren't there, he had to make a different decision. And I think that points to Dan's, uh, that points to Dan's point directly, just because guys like USC, but at the end of the day, it's really about winning that matters. Well, and ironically, in his in Bryce's case, it might have been one of the few places that the really upside part of the program actually hurt his recruiting because his recruitment because Keaton Slovis's amazing success last year, and if you come in, you're you're going to be right behind him. I think uh, all the, everything Keeley said was absolutely correct. But then you also had on top of that, you had, uh, Keaton Slovis, uh, being ahead of you and having all that success made it a little harder for a quarterback as talented as Bryce to maybe say, you know, I've got a better shot. Actually, as crazy as that, you know, would sound when we, when we were talking about it last year, part of his decision was I've got a better chance to play at Alabama right away than at, at USC. And, and I can't disagree with that. And, you know, he knew, what does that mean? That means I'm going to Tuscaloosa. And I'm not sure that was something he really wanted to do. But uh, uh, I think in terms of, you know, being able to play right away, that was the call. All right. Should we go to our last question, Bachman? Yeah, let's finish it up. So let's finish with our buddy Dan, class of 1962. This is, hi, Ryan, Dan, and Keely. Thank you for the Parastyle podcast, especially during this time of isolation and worry. Without current football to report, this may be a good time to delve into the history of USC sports, especially football. Dan's book about the history of significant moments in the history of USC football would be great to hear. Many of the younger USC alumni and fans may not be aware of iconic Trojans and their teams, such as Howard Jones, Jess Hill, Don Clark, Dean Cromwell, and even Larry Smith and John Robinson. In the early years of USC football, many of the players were two sports stars, such as Earl McCullough, who was an NCAA champion high hurdler, as well as an outstanding split-in. Even OJ was part of a world-breaking 440 relay team. Favorite USC football moments would be great to hear from listeners, both young and old. My favorite in-person moment was the 1964 Notre Dame game where Craig Furtick threw the winning touchdown to Rod Sherman in the last minutes to beat an undefeated Notre Dame team after trailing 17-0 at halftime. What are your thoughts and memories? Fight on and win Dan class of 1962. Well, I think Dan's kind of reading my mind. I, I think I've, I've gotten permission from our publisher to uh, to uh, reprint some of the chapters. Uh, so while we've got some time off, I have to work out all the details uh, uh, with Ryan and that as far as uh, how we can publish some of those uh, chapters of the miracle moments in USC football. But yeah, I think there are a lot of, th- a lot of e- either individuals or, or special moments or games that people ought to know about. I mean, I just, uh, you know, jo- uh, the, the guy I can't get over is Giles Pellerin, uh, the all-time, you know, and unchallenged and he'll never, his record will never be broken, who attended 797 straight USC football games. Home and road, he started before Lindbergh flew across the Atlantic. Uh, and so he made every home and road game uh, for whatever it was, 73 seasons, I think. And that's just, it's like, I can't, you can't even imagine no. how that, because if you're a USC guy, 
you're having to make those trips all the way across the country and you're doing it, you know, before they were flying across the country. I mean, it's just absolutely one of the greatest stories. And, you know, he, he died with his boots on, uh, you know, I think a heart attack at halftime of the USC UCLA game. Uh, uh, but USC, he has so many of those stories that are, that I'm not sure if everybody understands how historic a program, you know, USC is in, in so many ways, a band that has far and away, you know, the longest record of, of, of attending, uh, every game, uh, I mean, you know, most schools, you know, don't even try to, you know, go on the road and USC hasn't missed a, a road game since, uh, somewhere in the nineties. Um, and, uh, it's just there, there's just so much to you know talk about USC football and so many you know one of a kind games and players and all that. So we'll try to do a little bit of that while we're we've got the time maybe to uh, understand the you know the history of USC football. But uh, I had no idea. I mean, you know, if you were from the Midwest and that LA was sort of this glitzy you know modern kind of new place and whatever, and and, and didn't realize. Uh, uh, I know when uh, I did the Trailing College Football Hall of Fame in uh, 1989-90, and and uh, a Giles Pellerin uh, visited, and uh, he and his brother, who I think attended like 637 straight games, Oliver, I believe, and uh, we were setting up at Notre Dame for the USC Notre Dame game, and I remember these guys came through. And how much they knew and, and like they knew every, you know, all the different exhibits and, and plaques and, and, and all of that. Uh, and they knew something about it. And I didn't know who Giles Pellerin was. And one of the USC guys there explained to me who the heck he was. And I thought, I told, <laughs> I said, you ought to be running this thing. You know more, you know, college football history than I do. Uh, but uh, USC is, that's the thing. I, I still remember that day. It was the Friday before that Notre Dame game, 1989. And um, the thing that impressed me the most were the USC football fans that were on campus at Notre Dame and what kind of serious, you know, big time fans they were and how much they knew and how much they cared about, uh, you know, college football and USC. And it, it was kind of an eye opener if you hadn't, you know, grown up out here. And uh, it was kind of, you know, cool to to uh, to kind of get to learn that. So Dan is is correct. I think we ought to probably spend more time taking a look at the history. Yeah. So Dan can put those pieces up. And uh, to, yeah, that that record is so insane. And the fact that USC has someone that could theoretically have a chance. Uh, you know, Roy, the USC psycho. I think he's been in the three hundreds right now of of home and away games, but he's been doing it like. I don't even think it's been 30 years yet. Like he's not even halfway there. <laughs> it's like crazy. Yeah. Like it's nuts. Like how he would have to keep going, you know? I mean, and, and he started, I think in 1926. So just think again, how did you get, you know, to South Bend or Chicago all those years and never miss, you know, because of weather or whatever. I mean, it's beyond amazing, uh, you know, what, what he was able to do. Yeah, there's just literally you can't even look around the country and say, well, is there somebody there's nobody anywhere. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's just, but again, that's, USC's got those stories that, you know, that uh, are just out there by themselves, which is why when USC doesn't live up to this history and this heritage, uh, you probably feel like you got to call them out because it's too important and it's too much uh, what USC is to let it just go. And, and again, that's why we've, you know, we've had a tendency to be a little negative at times uh, in, in uh, recent years about missed opportunities uh, and, and not, you know, having the program that USC fans really, I think, are entitled to because of, you know, what USC's fans have done over the years. I mean, uh, I think the first time USC beat Notre Dame, for example, in South Bend and, and on their way to a national uh, championship, when they got back, I mean, try to imagine in those days, in the, you know, 20s, early 30s, you know, it was like three days to, to get to Notre Dame three and a half days or whatever on the train. And when they got back, um, uh, I think Southern California had a total of something like 550,000 people. And, uh, I'm thinking they went from the train station, the union, the station union station, I guess, to the USC campus. And there were more than 300,000 people showed up, you know, for that parade. And, uh, you know, it's just, kind of amazing how much history this program has and people have to understand that and especially the people at usc yeah. uh, who are <laughs> kind of in, ch in charge of it you know have to really understand how big a deal this uh you know this tradition this history is yeah all right well didn't think we had a lot to talk about we went pretty long <laughs> on the show so how did that happen keely what you know hour and a half what I'm blaming it happens. You. you always blame me. That's fine. But also, to Dan, class of 1962's point, I had an idea that we could do a trivia pod as well. You two, both you and, and you, Ryan, and Dan, you guys have some knowledge. So I might quiz you guys on some USC trivia. Oh, okay. All right. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. yeah we'll see. No How Googling. many days we get into quarantine. Yeah. Uh, but we always seem to be able to fill the show, so. True. Good stuff. But yeah, thank you guys for uh, spending some time uh, with us, Keely and Dan and myself, Ryan. Uh, please, everyone out there, be safe. Stay at home. Don't go out there. Don't get anyone sick. Don't get yourself sick. Let's stop the spread and everyone will hopefully be okay. We'll get college football back. We all want the same thing. We want to see college football. So do what you can to help. And it's pretty easy. All you got to do is stay at home. So um, but everyone be safe out there. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.